Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You think about the person in your life when you started believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, what I'm talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Alright, enjoy your lunch. lunch, 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 lunch. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Barty. Hello, Barty. Que vivan los novios! <laughs> and our tactics guy, and a man who's only just recovered his voice, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Woo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do sound very poorly, though, Nathan. So I think you should... Uh, oh, God, the cough's already started. <laughs> we apologise to listeners in advance for Nathan's coughing, sneezing, wheezing... Any, any other bodily noises he might make. He's been very ill and he's battling through to be here with you. Uh, yeah, come back a week early than expected. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the um, uh, missing Sonny bug as well. Yeah. Uh, Bardi, what was the, what, how did that translate? Um, let's celebrate. Que vivan, let's celebrate the, the newlyweds. It's something that gets shouted a lot at, at very Latin weddings, weddings that Graham Souness wouldn't be invited to. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I got I got married last week. Uh, I got married on Thursday. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, I managed to basically not tell anyone except immediate family and, and a handful of friends. friends. Um, but yeah, just snuck off to Edinburgh, myself and my I wife. Loved- yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess we kind of eloped. Yeah, um, took a couple of witnesses and a friend who's a photographer. Had a lovely time. Uh, I then caught food poisoning on the way back, so <laughs> I've had, a, I've had a, 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 an interesting few days. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm fully recovered now, and uh, and I'm married, man. How does bacteria survive in a deep fried Mars bar? Surely <laughs> it kills everything, no? Do you know, I, I did contemplate having a deep fried Mars box. It was the first time I'd been to Scotland for 15 years, I think. Um, mm. uh, but alas, I didn't walk past a vision chip shop when I was there, so didn't happen. Um, I did I did do some really fun stuff, though. On our So the, the night before our wedding, we went on a haunted vault tour, which was really good fun. They have... Um, they have these vaults underneath one of the bridges where a lot of weird shit's happened and uh, basically where these like traders used to store their wares. Uh, and there were some interesting tales from that. And then on our wedding day, we did an escape room, which was really fun, uh, which was based in an asylum. So we had a great time doing that. And then we uh, had dinner at Hawksmoor, which was, which was lovely. And they, they gave us some free champagne as well, which was even lovelier. Uh, so yeah, had a, had a great time. Um, Doing an escape room on your wedding day is the most windy story I've ever heard in my yeah. life. <laughs> uh, well, weirdly as well, it wasn't my idea. It was, it was my wife's idea. Uh, she just knows me so well, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, before everyone just switches off this podcast, <laughs> they don't want to hear about this, uh, let's talk about the menu game. So I don't know how you guys felt. I felt pretty hard done by by the end of this game. I felt like... We really, considering the injury situation, we really played some good stuff and deserved to get more out of it than a draw. Uh, I mean, Manu scored from two low percentage chances with, to be honest, brilliant finishes. Yeah. Uh, lovely strike from Hoyden, like just a ruthlessly vicious strike that Vicario could get nowhere near. It's like the one part of the net he couldn't get to. 
And then Rashford just puts it through Van der Ven's legs. And those ones are so hard to stop anyway, but doubly so when they're through the legs of a defender. But I guess we should start with the starting 11 because there's definitely some interesting uh, stuff there. And Nathan's already alluded to players returning early. Um, Jonathan says, is Ange being reckless with bringing injured players back too soon? Or does he just say they're rushed back, but most managers would have had them playing sooner anyway with less regard for their health? Mm. Uh, Bardi, were you surprised to see Romero amongst others back in the team uh, I was very happy to see them back which was which was also it was also very surprising I I thought maybe Dragerson might have started because I guess he was probably the fittest out of the lot but that would have been a risk but I don't know was he reckless we, we don't know the truth we don't know what kind of condition they're in and as of everything we're all very happy with Postacoglu and we're all very yeah we're, we're happy with how things are going so we're always going to back him and, and say he made the right decision which I, which I think he did he probably mm. did make the right decision so we 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 know now that there's a sickness bug or some sort of bug has been sweeping its way through the squad. We've had Kulisevsky, Skip and others go down with this, leading to Kulisevsky not being able to start, which is obviously very disappointing. Um, Nathan, what do you think of this decision? And, and do you have concerns more widely about injured players coming back too soon? Yeah, it's hard to say, obviously, without... Um being able to assess the players having a medical license uh etc etc um it's certainly yeah i guess i don't want to be a hypocrite it's certainly something i've complained about before with previous coaches and i'm now going to be like but when Ange does it you know um <laughs> because he's dad because he's because he's dad so it is, it is a little tough um I, I i do think that there's definitely a, a a trend here and we talked about this on the previous episode to like project the worst case publicly and then mm-hmm. and then if a player comes back early it's a nice surprise and maybe it catches the opposition off guard and also there's no inverse of that which is saying that they should be good for next week and then there's a delay and people get people get worried um uh but yeah it's it's hard to say this is right this is wrong on an individual basis uh and obviously mm-hmm. we have been uh decimated by by absences and, and having to sort of make do with whatever we can right yeah, and you I think... Can, sorry, go, go on, buddy. Well, you could see Van der Ven wasn't match fit. Obviously, the cramp is always a telltale sign, but yeah. there was moments there where someone ran past him, and since he's come to Spurs, I've never seen anyone run past Van der Ven. And I, I don't know whether it was McTominay or, or Hewland, but somebody ran past him, and I was just like, that doesn't normally happen to him. So he definitely wasn't fit. I definitely think he was rushed back. I think had the Burnley game been a bit easier and a bit smoother, he would have got 20 minutes there or so. But I think... A seventy-five or eighty percent fit Van der Ven is is better than Emerson, you know. Hundred uh, percent. How good was Romero? Oh my goodness! Uh, just absolutely outrageous, and and proving Nathan's point about the the really ridiculously creative passing mm. with that outrageous pass for the first goal. Mm. Yeah, I was. Um, while we're waiting for for Nathan to join, I've, I've been. I've had a busy weekend. I've had my my godchild here, so we've had busy weekends. So I watched the game, but I've not been able to digest the kind of content around it, everything else that's happened. But rewatching the the game on match of the day too. Before that, there was a moment where Hjoiberg messed up, and we got quite lucky, and we got the ball back. And it almost seemed as if Romero, when he got the ball a second time, just went. Actually, I'm just going to bypass the field. <laughs> I could I could do this better than that cement mixer and he's just gone whoosh pass it straight into skip and uh, bypass Choiberg and we ended up scoring. Should have bypass Choiberg should be a um a motto for the team. Hope you played well I thought uh, but but more more on that. Um we had some interesting actually I I do want to comment on the substitutes bench. <laughs> uh because once again we we've, we've named eight subs out of nine and two of them were goalkeepers. <laughs> Um, it's a pet hate of mine. I can only think it's a reward for players who train well and, and get some sort of additional fee for being on the bench. Uh, I I don't like it. I've never liked it. It annoys me. I just think just fill up the bench with youth players for the experience. Like there's got to be someone you want to reward out there, um, even if you're not going to use them. But whatever. Um, strange one for me. Uh, we had some some questions about the the tactics and the way the game went. So there are three of them, in fact, that sort of asked roughly the same thing. Harry S said, "We seem to have a real shift in our game plan at halftime. I know this isn't unusual, but why was it so stark this time?" Uh, Jonathan Stevens says, "Looking forward to your pod, so you can explain to me what on earth we changed in the second half to look so dominant." 
And Jenks4309 says, Nathan, was there a tactical change by Ange in the second half that stopped Porro getting so exposed against Rashford defensively? And I'm going to say, I'm interested to get Nathan's point of view on this. Okay. I didn't see any tactical change. I, I thought the, the shift came from the fact that we scored immediately in the second half and it changed the game state. Mm. And it moved it from 2-1 to United to 2 all, And suddenly we had all the momentum. And I felt like United were somewhat broken by that and, and became unsure of how to approach the rest of the game. They're a nervous little outfit at the moment. They themselves are lacking depth and due to injuries. And they couldn't handle our our punchy passing and cyclical movements. Uh, and and they, they went onto the back foot to try and stay in the game, which they managed to do in fairness. Uh, but I, I thought we were just as good in the first half, probably. Um, there was a period at the end of the first half, in fact, it was not long before United scored, where we did kind of stop pushing forward quite so much and we instead just started keeping control, a bit of having a bit of deeper control. But other than that, I thought we were really good pretty much consistently until the last 10 minutes where I thought we perhaps lost it a bit due to the tiredness. Uh, I'm quite glad you said that because um, obviously I'm not in my my greatest mental capacity right now. So I saw those questions and I was like, was there? Because <laughs> so, uh, definitely, um, definitely United had less of uh, less chances, less threat, less opportunity in the second half. Um, failed, you know, didn't get to Rashford in the second half. Um, but I thought that was like we counterpressed uh, better, um, and I'm again I'm not sure what necessary tweak there would have been to enable that. Um, I don't know if there was anything positional within that, but we counterpressed better and prevented the opportunity to play the pass rather than anything like um, like Poro playing safer or uh, the centre midfielders worrying about that space behind Poro. I think that we because it's like. Um, because United's approach to the game in attack was like, um, hey, let's um, win the ball and then immediately hit the space behind the fullbacks. It's very like, um, uh, it's very sort of a Jamie Redknapp halftime analysis. Well, these fullbacks, they push up uh, really high and then also, uh, you know, narrow. So there's space behind them. So I, if I was United, I would hit the space behind them. And that's kind of how United approached the game, right? And it, And like, it's like, yep, that's true, right? But you haven't like solved football. You haven't solved playing against Postacoglu because how <laughs> do you achieve that situation? Well, having Bruno Fernandes, having Christian Eriksen, having Marcus Rashford does a lot for you in that regard because those three are brilliant at two of the, you know, the two components of that play, right? Um, but on the second half, we simply denied the opportunity to to play the pass. In the first half, we didn't, and they were also trying to get him behind Udogi. But Garnacho doesn't move off the ball like Rashford does, and also, my goodness, Udogi is incredible at dealing with acres of space behind him, um, athletically, calmly, technically, um, positionally. Um, See, so yeah, I don't think that there was like a oh no. They've solved the riddle. There's space behind our fullbacks. It was it was more about denying the opportunity to play that pass. I think I think. But again, I I uh, I might need to watch this game again in in a few days' time to get a better read on it. I I, I agree with you. I think um, I think when Man United had the ball, it, they were in positions where they couldn't play that pass anymore. And I also think Rashford is such a, a player of kind of like such an instinctive player that just he just every time he got the ball in the second half, he was miles away from anywhere dangerous. Whereas in the first half, he was much closer to our goal when he received the ball. He, we just kept him at arm's length. Eriksen coming off, even though that kind of helped him defensively because McTominay's got far better legs. It did reduce the, the possibility of them hitting the, um, hitting the diagonal. I, I also thought Martinez coming on was a big was a big disappointment for me because I thought with Johnny Evans there, we could have got at him. Got at him at least one more time and Martinez kind of shored them up plus we just ran out of legs but uh, I thought we, I thought we were pretty good I thought I know I've already had a dig at Schoeper but I thought he was pretty good in the second half miles better than he was in the first and I walked away from this game with a sense of disappointment actually because I think I think we dropped two points here I think we could have won this game but Man United remain no matter how bad they are they remain a team capable of swinging a punch or two they're very um, Conte light I mean even when Conte was at his worst his team was better than this and but Rashford can still smack one and now Hoyland's found how to hit one as well so yeah it's, it's disappointing to have dropped two points here 
Mm. Definitely. Um, let's talk about some of the individual player performances. So Sav says, is a healthy Bentancourt better in the eight role than Conor Gallagher? Could they coexist or would it be better to use that money elsewhere? And obviously this is off the back of Bentancourt arriving in the box in the nick of time to take a glorious touch to send the ball into his left foot and just send it rasping past Anana. Um who stayed away from his national team game to do precisely nothing in this game. Um, but whatever. Um, Bardi, is Bentancourt a better eight than Conor Gallagher would be? I'm not a fan of Conor Gallagher. I, mm. I, I, I never have been. I don't, I don't, there's nothing in him that I like. I don't, don't even like his face, but um, <laughs> obviously if he comes to Spurs, I, I wish him all the, wish him well, but I think Bentancourt is better in the eight than Conor Gallagher. And I think Bentancourt is better in the sixth than Gallagher, not that he plays there. I just think Bentancourt is a better player. I think uh, that goal from Bentancourt gives me a lot of encouragement about how he'll fit this role under Postacoglu. I mean, I, I've said from the very beginning, I think it's a match made in heaven. Uh, he sh- he's, he showed a few glimpses before he got the bad injury of how good he is at timing a run. Uh, having been a sort of quite a cautious player, I think it's fair to say in Italy, who he didn't really get in the box much. At international level, he's shown a bit more. And under Conte and, and now under Postacoglu, he showed a bit of initiative around arriving in the box. And I think he's got it in him. His finishing is very calm. I, I feel like you can trust him in front of goal. And so I've got a very good feeling about him. That said, I really like Gallagher. I really like Gallagher as a kind of all-rounder who can do a bit of everything in midfield in the same way that I think Bentancourt can. So I'm, I'm certainly not against signing Gallagher. And, and remember that we're going to need a lot more players next year if we're going to be in the Champions League. Like You can't just go into the Champions League and expect to do well with just one good player of every position. You need two or, or at least some players that can cover multiple positions. And I think Gallagher would add that to us. Um, Bentancur was sensational last season. His injury was one of the kind of factors that led to the ultimate downfall of yeah. our club. Um, I just don't. I don't. I know Gallagher's done some nice numbers when he was at Palace, but I just. I just don't. I'm not a fan. Just not a huge fan of him. And I think that's a lot of money. But I guess he is young and English, so that does add twenty-five million to his price. Uh, Nathan, do you want to touch on Gallagher now, or, or a little later? We talk transfers. Uh, can save it for later. Cool. Uh, so, talking of, of new signings, um, Rob Kleinite says, Do you agree that if Ange cultivates a creator's mindset for Timo, Spurs will benefit more than if he stays on trying to regain his scoring? My belief is that with his speed and touch, he can get him behind and find others to boost our goal, goal output rather than trying to do it for himself. And yeah, I agree with Rob completely. I think he's a good fit for the wide role. Uh, you could see in this game that... that uh, Maybe some adjustments need to be made and the more that Udogi and Werner will train together, the more of an understanding they'll get. There were several occasions where Werner just absolutely tore away on the outside and Udogi kind of wanted to hold the ball or carry it or move it inside um, rather than playing the ball down the line, which is just not the way we play or have played. Um, But I think Werner looked really promising. I thought he had a pretty good game. Nathan, what did you think of him? Yeah, I think um, good good question, good analysis within the question. And uh, and quite frankly, within that, like uh, a miss from me last week um, because um, I talked about Werner being like um, uh, essentially Brennan Johnson, right? Um, about being an off-ball player, about being someone who uh, would probably play some centre-forward minutes for us. And actually in this game, I was really impressed with him with the ball at his feet. I was really impressed with him playing in a wide area. Not that that's totally shocking. And I definitely see the vision for him um, to be primarily a winger um, and to be someone who can mix up. And I guess this is, this, is, this, is what, this is what Spurs wanted from him. Someone who can do both the receiving the ball to feet and the running away from the ball. And uh, there were some quotes, I think, as well, speaking to this. Uh, give me one moment. He said after the game, I think a lot of people wanted to see me scoring more goals, but at Spurs, the way the manager wants me to play, I can bring a lot to the group to make deep runs, to create space for others and create assists. And uh, yeah, I'm more convinced um, that he's going to offer us something that we don't have or didn't or were slightly lacking in at least. Um, he he kind of made it to the byline two or three times in this game, um, which is like it's still true that we're still missing... Um, 
a dribbler, a one v one specialist, someone who can do that several times a game from from unpromising scenarios. Um, but this is like at least a half step in in that direction. You know, it's it's kind of a compromise. So uh, really impressed with Werner in, in this game enough that it has made me feel better about his role in the squads. He's not just cover for Sun um, for for January, right? Because that's crazy to bring in a player just to cover for like two or three games, right? Um, so yeah, really quite really quite pleased with Werner actually. I think he's not just cover for Son for January in two ways. I think he can play with Son now. So when Son gets back, we'll get more out of him. But also, I think it's a genuine try before you buy. Like, sure. see how he fits the system. And then if he performs like that in, let's say, half of his games or more, he'll get signed. Like, it's a relatively low fee. I think they'll do the deal. I think that's a player that adds a lot to the squad. He really reminded me, actually, of early Son. Sure. You know how Son used to be like a really direct winger and he would just like run at that di- he'd get, pick up the ball really wide and just run at a diagonal angle towards goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it, it made me think of that. He, his shooting wasn't great, let's be honest. Like, it was quite amusing when the first shot he got away was like a cut in and blast miles over the bar from range. 50 yards. <laughs> um, like an instant meme. Yeah. Um, but like I think he played well enough to mean that it doesn't become a meme because actually he was effective yeah and i think it's 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 great work to like look at what he is again a miss from me and what he is now instead of being like if we can get this guy firing because like that's done that's gone and 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 he knows that and i think that this is like a reinvention of him um and uh yeah again i'm I'm really impressed with the work here he's like the i've said it before he's like the worst best player i've ever (laughs) seen so he's he's incredible at what he does good he's really good at but what he does bad he's the worst at (laughs) and it's how can we harness that so we're just using the good you know Mm -hmm. i think he looks a little bit bereft of confidence in the same way kind of johnson does that when it arrives at the crux he kind of goes the wrong way or does the wrong thing but he did do a nice little pass into bentacore that was lovely bentacore he ran in and you can see him waving exactly where he wants the ball and Berner has the the kind of the vision to to see it just do what he do what he's do what he's told basically and i think if we can harness this guy to do what he's told I think we could have a really good player. But yeah, I agree with Nathan. He's not going to be scoring 20 goals ever, I don't think. Um, I hope he does. I hope I have to pay a bet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he's a, what he does good, he does great. But what he does bad, he does shockingly bad. So stop shooting, get to the get inside. And I'd like to see him cut inside occasionally and then lay it off more. Yeah, but I think there's something there, definitely. And the price is, the price is a good price, man. Definitely. Uh, we need to talk about Charleston, who I thought was man of the match. I thought that was his best performance for Spurs so far. I thought he's absolutely outstanding in everything he did. The work rate has always been there, but that was matched by him being a magnificent focal point, great layoffs, really good linking of play, chasing of lost causes, creating corners where a corner didn't exist, creating throw-ins where a throw-in didn't exist. And then he gets in the end of a corner as well with a excellent header. Um, Bardi, you might as well pay up now. I think so. And I'm more than happy to. It was, uh, removing Kane from this discussion, one of the best number nine performances I've seen for Tottenham for, I don't know, I don't know since when. I can't, well, <laughs> who remembers a time before Kane? It's very difficult to. Mm. But he was sensational, man. He was running channels, winning headers, getting his backside into Varane, spinning Varane, causing problems, coming back and making interceptions. He was, you know, everywhere. Uh, really good, lovely little header as well. Mm. It, had he smacked that one into the top corner that was pulled across to him, it would have been an incredible performance. He he was really, really good. And, you know, I can't wait. I cannot wait to give my 30 quid to the Tottenham Food Bank. I'm looking forward <laughs> to doing it. Good answer. He just needs eight more goals from 17 games, which, which is that seems... It? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's seven. Got a league cup goal. Oh, so it's seven from 17. And then the 17 I, might become <laughs> 20 because of the cup run. Who knows? He was so bad at the start of the season. I was like, yeah, chucking cup games, it doesn't matter. But yeah. So he's still got seven to go. Yeah. Well, maybe I won't pay it's up. Convi- I think it's no, going to get close. It's, it's, it might it, get down to the wire if, if uh, you know, he, Son and Vernon are back in the squad and everything. It's good. He'll have seven by end of February. <laughs> I hope so. Windy, what's yeah, he's the. Um, really well. What's the most annoying. Uh, snotty dickhead answer I can possibly give to this topic on Richardson's performance in this game. 
Um, I think the most annoying answer yeah. would be, well, if you went back and listened to what I've said in all the previous podcasts, I think you'll find that I was absolutely right about Richarlison and everyone should just listen to me. But I was right as well. He couldn't run. He couldn't. I was judging the Richarlison. That could, he, he doesn't run. He, he wasn't running. He wasn't jumping. He wasn't moving. I didn't know he, he had a, a massive lump or a hernia or whatever he had on his leg. I didn't know that. I was judging what I saw in front of me and he was awful. He, but he, yes, he, no, he's not. He definitely wasn't awful. It was terrible. I, I think, like, clearly he wasn't what he is now. Like, he's obviously so much more mobile. I think the intentions were there before, which is what Nathan and I were seeing. But the the um what's the word the athleticism I guess is the easy way of saying yeah. it is is clearly there for all to see now like the leap like he the leaps he was he was doing in in this game showed I think that he was uh, niggle free he he just looked really comfortable in his own body uh, Nathan I assume you were quite pleased with his performance yeah <laughs> yeah I think I think I think he was pretty good when he was hobbling around with uh you know a missing testicle or whatever it was i think he was <laughs> i think he was good before and i accept that he's more agile but he wasn't he wasn't a statue before his pressing work was always incredible he always ran the channels he always bullied the center back he always had a leap in my opinion and yes he's more agile after um after his pelvic dick surgery after his dick surgery um but I think he was always good, and I think the difference is that he's scoring goals because he's getting chances now. Although, actually, uh, to be fair, uh, he's now overperforming expected goals, which he obviously wasn't doing for for quite a while this season. Um, yeah, he he needed to just be confident. <laughs> Shout out to Chilton. Um, I I think the conversation around Richarlison a few weeks ago was you know if we get a good offer from Saudi, we should sell him. And I've even seen comments in the last week saying, you know, surely we'll sell Richarlison in the summer and upgrade him. Uh, my view is, I don't know where we could find a better pressing forward. I don't know where we can find someone who does the stuff he does for this team. And, I mean, he's basically scoring a goal a game. Like, where do you get that player to replace him? You say five-year deal, Wendy. So that's what I'm hearing. Sign him up. <laughs> I mean, I think Julian Alvarez is probably a better, higher-pressing forward, but he's a bit out of our price range. Probably. Yeah, yeah. He loves I, the scores, I, man. I love him. I love the pigeon. Um, Chris Green says, quick question following yesterday's game and Angie's praise of Ryan Mason's set-piece coaching. Have you noticed anything particularly different and groundbreaking in what we've been doing this year? I don't recall any routines or flicks which saw more of which we saw more of when Gianni Vio was here. To my unsophisticated eye, Richardson's goal yesterday was as a result of an excellent corner delivered into a dangerous area where we had plenty of options to glance it in. Uh, Nathan, keeping it simple from set pieces? No. <laughs> Uh, I I keep meaning to like take a look at them um, because like our shots from set pieces have been going up, um, our goals from set pieces have been going up, and the sophistication in my opinion has improved. Um, but that's without me paying a ton of attention, um, so I can't tell you too much yet. Uh, although I'll do it probably soon about like um, uh, overall principles and things that have developed over the last few weeks. But this goal specifically. Um, United are using a hybrid defence. They've got a zonal wall on their six-yard box and they've got a few man markers. And then we also um, have a few runners from where the markers are and a couple of players already in United's wall. And then we crash our runners into the wall. And we did so um, with a good spread, which means it's not a situation where every single player is like, I want to score, so I will run to where it looks like the ball is going, right? We're arriving so that we've got players spread between the two posts, so depending on where the ball goes, um, we can deal with it, but actually well, that that's the pretend, right? But the reality is, um, this is a contact sport, right? And you're not meant to hold and push, but you do. And by the way, shout out to a doggy for um, lovingly caressing Garnacho's hips and just just gently lofting him <laughs> um, for a non-given penalty. Because like, sorry, I'll I'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> the corner, um, basically. Van de Ven and Brennan Johnson, um, I think, uh, become Richarlison's bodyguards and they stand bodily um, uh, and block off other United players from getting to Richarlison. I think he's still left 1v1 with it. Was it Wan-Bissaka? 
um, and he outjumps. I think you're right. I think yeah. he outjumps whether it was Wambasaka or someone else. But the other United players are have to you know try to go around Van der Ven because uh, you're not going through Van der Ven, right? Um, so really good work from Ryan Mason and and really good work from Postecoglou to ascribe that duty to someone else to see that that duty is seen to within the club. Um, yeah, really just so impressed with every aspect of that. Udogi fouling Garnacho, definitely a penalty, in my opinion. No. He, he just grabs him, he just holds him, right? But the thing is, um, such is the um, kinesthetic, such is the kinesthetic gift um, that Udogi has that he is able to control him again gracefully he just holds him right whereas i think a lot of players when they make that foul they like collapse into them and the two players go to ground and if if garnacho went to ground they would have given a penalty for that but he can't get to ground because he's being held <laughs> i it's not a it's yeah not, no I, I don't think it's a penalty either it was real kind of 1950s um, dirty dancing vibes where the, the, the arms were there, but there was no holding. It was, it wasn't, there was no grabbing going on. No, 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 that's, that's not a penalty. Garnaccio's, if anything, backing in and trying to trying to get grabbed, but no, I'm not, there was no grabbing going on. I, I think it's one where in real time, it's not a penalty. When you see it slowed down, you can make a case oh. for it being a penalty, but you know, that's not how the sport happens. A um, couple of points on the set pieces. Firstly, I think I'm right in saying that we have the fewest uh, goals conceded via set pieces in the Premier League, which I imagine is also partly down to Ryan Mason. And secondly, Pedro Porro's deliveries are just consistently exceptional. Just so good on the money. Um, we win a lot of corners. Of course, we do. There's a lot of wide play. Uh, Richarlison wins a lot of corners. Johnson wins a lot of corners. And when you've got someone like Porro delivering, you, you're you onto a good thing, basically. And we've got Madison coming back soon as well. So, fantastic. So wait, so this is um, this is all down to Ryan Mason. Do we do we have that? As, as, is that a fact? Yeah, yeah. So, Ange has come out and praised, specifically praised Ryan Mason for sorting out set pieces. Good, I'm glad he's doing that. I thought it was just down to, like, we were eating better steak because we had better beef whipping the ball in. I thought Porro is mm. so good at crossing that. That was that was it. Really. Good delivery is is really only like twenty percent of a, of a corner, in my opinion, and so much focus. Like, and it's the other way as well. So much focus is on our oh, Eriksson can't beat the first man when it's really much more about well, let's move the first man, or let's get someone around the other side of the first man, or let's use that as a decoy, etc., etc., for something else. Um, hmm. I I hadn't noticed any change to our defensive structure from corners going back to Conte when we changed to a zonal wall. Um, so I think the main reason that we haven't conceded from corners is because uh, we don't concede many corners, I suspect. But you partly that, for sure. I think also, is there an extra man on the post now? Could be, could I be. Could actually, be yeah. I could be wrong on that. Um, Bardi, do you have a question for us? Here's a little memory teaser for you and our listeners. We've got City at home in the Cup. Our record against them is pretty good since we moved to our new stadium. There's been five games and we've won all five. On April 2019, Sun scored to give us a 1-0 win. My question to you is, and everyone listening, can you name all the goal scorers since then? Oh my goodness. So Son scored more than what just that one. He scored 
again. Yeah, but so tell me the next uh, after April nineteen we played City. What was the <laughs> what was the score? I'm I'm going to be no good on this, Nathan. Uh, no, I've thrown over to you. Yeah, they all blur into into one game. Um, uh, Bergvine. Bergvine, very mm. good. February 2020, Bergvine scored one goal in a two 0 win. Who scored the other goal? Is it like Regulon or something? No, it was Shuming Sun. Okay, that was with Jose. That was under Jose. The next game, I'll give you a bit of a clue. Was in 20 November 20 uh, 21st of November 2020. This was in COVID season. We won two 0 Who are the goal scorers? So this is Mourinho again, still. Mourinho is still Jose. Um... Uh, we played a a four plus one defensive line. Um, so K no block and counter. No, no, no K. Uh, okay, maybe assisted. I think Son scored again in that one. Son did score again. Well done, Wendy. You kept you keep naming the one player. There. Yeah, was it just <laughs> one so, goal? And so, well, no, we won two 0 Who scored the second goal? I can give you a clue. It was a counter attack. Just came on the pitch. He was a substitute. Just came on the pitch. Um... Left footer. It was Lacelso. No. Do you remember? You could, you could now you never said it. You, you can't. Windy's shaking his head. Next game under Nuno, fifteenth of August, twenty twenty one. We won. Yeah, well Very good. And fifth of February under Conte slash Delini, we won one nil. Who was our goal scorer? Oh, God, that was so recently, and again, so recently. And, and again, it's like I can't separate them. They're all the same game, you yeah. know. I, I remember Suns won like, under Nuno. Was that Kane? That was Kane. That was I'm pretty sure that was his record breaking goal as well. That was the one nil. <laughs> ah, Wendy. Well done, Nathan. My brain well, just does well not done. work in that way. Well done for carrying this one. <laughs> yeah, well yeah, if, thanks, you can Nate. go back to doing ones from fifteen years ago now and I'll see it like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought let me do a recent one. <laughs> Give Nathan a chance. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. As simple as bossing a Premier League game at Old Trafford, that's what AG1 does. It allows me to boss my health, a bit like how our friend Benton Cook can boss a centre midfield, no matter who is alongside him. Think of AG1 as your Lolo, and the other two alongside him, the cement mixer and Skippy, as tiredness and lack of sleep. Taking AG1 delivers a daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics to keep me perky and active, despite the other two weighing me down. I know that my AG1 is made of high quality ingredients, tried and tested, and will deliver in key moments. I love my AG1 routine as much as I love our Uruguayan. I take it every morning with a drop of vitamin D and a squeeze of lemon for that added tang. It's my go-to drink before breakfast, even before my lovely coffee. Bring a bit of pizzazz into your morning routine. Be less cement, more AG1, mate. If there's one product we had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why we partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. That's drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. Check it out. So we've had a nice uh, glut of new patrons who've all been signing up to see Nathan's Radu Dragushin um, video, which has, has gone down very well. Um, so during during the transfer window, we tend to get an uptick in subscribers because people are keen on transfer scouting uh, videos that Nathan makes. Plus, uh, we we have we're very lucky that Cal does an incredible job in the news and rumours of Discord, and we get really fast and filtered latest news. And Nathan's doing data viz on request as well on Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash the extra inch if you're interested. Um, talking of Dragushin, we saw him for the first time. He came on at um, right centre-back and then moved to left centre-back once Van der Ven went down with cramp, which is one of the reasons we signed him, I imagine, Nathan. Because we knew that Van der Ven would get cramp. Well, because he can play both sides. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, five out of five passes completed. Proven that he can pass. Nathan defeated by facts and logic once again. Immediately unsubscribed <laughs> from Patreon. He's a lovely looking individual, our big Romanian. When he was in that in that white vest, it was he had all the bulges in the right oh, yeah. place. What a what a specimen. He's got very piercing eyes. I I think he's very handsome. I I wish he would trim his beard a little though. I think it's it's mm. too wispy. He's a dragon. Uh, Dragons have wispy beards. Come on, man. That is true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so far so good. He seemed to fit in well. Looked looked apart physically. Hopefully. Hopefully it'll be a really good signing. I hadn't realised until I added him to my squad spreadsheet, being a massive nerd. Uh, he is um, one day... Is it older or younger? Let me just check this. I should have checked this before I started speaking. He is one day older than Troy Parrott. Huh. Uh, he shares a birthday with me. Uh, and that means he will be... 
under 21 for the rest of the season. He's on the under 21 list oh. for the rest of the season. So he doesn't count as a 25 man squad space for this season only. Okay. Next season, we will have to name him. But that, that could be handy if we want to sign someone else. Did um, one big header as well. Boof, he properly put his neck muscles into he did. that. He did get a little bit lost under the header that McTominay had right That's at the true. end. But um, he I, was moved from left to right, so I forgive him. I blamed you, Doggy, for that one because he could see what was ha- what was unfolding and uh, didn't pick up McTominay. But we got lucky anyway. Hmm. So, yeah, um, allowed us to move to a back three at the end of the game as well, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that would be... The I, I, I don't read anything into that, to be honest, Nathan. Oh, okay. I think that was... Personally, I think that was far more down to the fact that he wanted to make a sub... Uh, because there were so many tired players and he didn't trust any of the other young players on the bench. He just thought he'd bring on like the one experienced player we had and it, and therefore it suited us to move to a back three. I could be wrong. It could be, could have been tactical, but that's my rationale. Oh, talking to trust the young players, um, I tweeted beforehand and I imagine you felt similarly that I wanted to see Donnelly start this game over over one of our midfield, uh, over one of Skipper Hoybjerg. Um, that was obviously an uninspiring midfield, at least on paper. In practice, it was okay. Um, it was interesting that uh, Hoybier played the deepest role and Bentancourt played as the eight. And again, obviously, he got a goal from that role. Um, I think I think under normal circumstances, I would, and I've said before, and I think maybe we've even seen before those two to be the other way around, so that you have Bentancourt's technical quality under pressure as the number six. But I think in this game, when we have the midfield that we had, it kind of made sense to like spread that technical quality slightly further up the pitch. Um, so it made sense for this one. Uh, Skip had maybe his best game uh, this season. Um, not that that like changes our perspective on things. Like, oh, okay, let's stick with Stip. Let's not spend fifty million on a on a new midfielder or whatever. Um, and again, like in the Burnley game, really, really good sort of sacrificial runs to open up space for his teammates. Um, and but in this game, was actually good on the ball when he had it too, for the most part. Uh, so happy for him. Yeah, I mean, I, so. There's been a lot of discourse around Skip in this game, and I think it's because, you know, Skip's a really good ball striker. He he has lovely ball striking technique. And that pass he played out wide. With the laces, with the fades. With the laces. We we saw that from him in preseason. We've seen it from him before. He he is more than capable of playing that pass. Skip is good technically. The problem with Skip, I think, and I, I believe it almost even more after this game, is that he just can't cope with the speed and, and intensity of Angel. Yeah. I think he's just not quite there. Um, and I think it was telling that whilst Hoybier had like 103 touches of the ball or something in this match and Bentangor had in the 70s, Skip, I think, had 37. Yeah, well, again, like uh, his main role in this system, when he plays as the advanced, as the, as the number 10, which, again, he did against Fernley, his role is to run away and allow his teammates to get in the ball, which is, like, tactically the best use of him, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I completely get that. I completely get that. But you put Lo Celso in that role, you put Madison sure. in that role, you put Saar in that role, you put Bentancourt in that role, and they're going to have double the number of touches, probably, again, in, in a match where we dominate like this. And I just think Skip's not... He's not able to get on the ball as much. I found it cringeworthy watching him chase shadows when we didn't have the ball, particularly in the first half. I just think athletically it's a real problem. Um, I will agree with you that his off-the-ball running when we do have the ball is good. Yeah. Uh, I think he's intelligent. I think it's ta- it's it's listening and, and um, following yeah. instruction. But, I mean, so Skip's been linked with a loan move to Crystal Palace. Sure. Uh, if all of our players were fit or and available to us, there's no doubt in my mind that he'd be allowed to go. The only reason he'll be being kept on is because of the availability of players, I think. Uh, that said, if we if 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 we get sort of further in the window and we do want to sign Gallagher and we've not had a suitable offer for Hoybier yet, would not surprise me one bit if Skip was loaned out to Palace and we got Gallagher in. If we talk about midfielders, have you uh, have you read my thread, mate? I have read your thread, and unlike Bardi, I really like Conor <laughs> Gallagher. I always have done, uh, but I especially like him uh, after this season because I think I've seen a different side to him. So uh, when Conor Gallagher went alone to Crystal Palace. He essentially played a free role in the midfield. They, you know how Palace play. They're very stodgy midfield. Um, they defend in a, in a midfield four. And then they had Gallagher uh, sit in front of that midfield four. And when they got the ball, when it became loose, he was able to receive defeat or just make his way into the box. And he ended up scoring eight goals in the league that season, which is a really good return for a Crystal Palace team. It doesn't score that many goals, or didn't score that many goals. 
Uh, and I thought he was very good in his first full season in the Premier League. Now, this year, he's playing a very different role to Chelsea. He's receiving the ball a lot deeper often. Sometimes he's playing as a six. Yeah. Sometimes he's playing as an eight. Sometimes he's playing as a ten. He's doing all those things, in my view, really well. And I think, um, to go a bit Harry Brooks for a moment, I think he shows a lot of personality on the pitch. I think he Gallagher really believes in his own ability and he's often the guy that Chelsea players go to to get them out of trouble. Like if they're struggling in possession and struggling to work out what to do next, they go to Gallagher and he finds solutions. And I think that's been a, a sort of step for him this year. And I really rate him. I think he's very good. I, th- I think he would add a lot to our squad in terms of um, personality and swagger and technical ability and goal scoring. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh... It's kind of where I'm at now. I think I spoke before about how like I'm reluctant to give money to Chelsea, and I said like surely there are other options for us. And then what I did is I actually went away and looked at them. <laughs> and uh, it's tough. It's tough out there, especially. And I talk in this thread about like age groups. So um, I do because what we're talking about here is like letting a skip go, potentially you know selling Hoybjerg, having someone come in. Um, and like displacing Saar, making Saar into a rotational player, um, it's got to be someone who's going to have like an immediate impact, which means that it's got to be like an early or just pre-peak player. Um, so it can't be like a kid. So there, I, I mention, um, I mentioned in this thread, uh, uh, Bellingham, Job Bellingham, Jude's younger brother, who um, he has like a remarkably similar statistical profile to his brother at the same age, which which does not mean that he will definitely transform into Jude Bellingham by the time he's twenty two, because that's not how things work. But you know, it's a bit it's a bit sexy, it's a bit tempting, and uh, there is an essence of coys about the uh, the Bellingham brothers that people have, have latched onto. Um, but again, he would be he would be coming in to deputize Sai, he would be coming as a project, right? And the same is true of uh, Carlos Alcaraz, Charlie Alcaraz at Southampton. Um, doesn't have the physical side of his game really yet, in my opinion. Um, Kenneth Taylor, incredible name for a Dutch person, um, of Ajax, um, doesn't have the physical game. Um, really needs to grow into his body, work on his defensive game a lot, but his technical ability is incredible and he arrives in the box brilliantly. Um, Rocker writes at Gladbach, um, isn't quite there technically, um, and again is young. Um, 21-year-old who, who could make a, a first-team impact is, is Gabriel Vega, but he moved to... Um, Al Ali in the summer and um, he, he may well want out by now it seems like a lot of the players who moved to Saudi Arabia um, in the summer do want out but that would mean sending money to Saudi Arabia and obviously that's you know that's a whole podcast episode in and of itself um, and there aren't really the age we'd be looking at here is like 22 to 25 right um, there's a couple of players I mentioned um, uh, Aderson and uh, Fafana but these two well, they profile very similarly to Bentacore, and you know that just brings me back to well, we could just bring in a, a number six and play Bentancourt as the number eight, right? Um, and then there are players over the age of twenty-five, so Hadara at, at Leipzig, um, having some injury issues this um, this season, is currently um, in the same squad as Basuma at Afcon. Um, I think that's right. And then Braze Mendes, who who plays in the midfield three, but very much behaves like a number ten. Um, but he's 27. He's a sausage dad. Kamada, who we were linked to before, went on a free um, to Lazio, where he's not having a great time. But he's like a really, he's absolutely, he arrives in the box, man, and he gets up and down. And he's got technical quality, but he's 27. Um, and then I also mention um, Delhi. Delhi for me is an absolute profile match. I spoke about this in the summer when I looked at O'Reilly and, and that role. He can do the box to box stuff. He, my goodness, can he move off the ball like no one else? Um, obviously, this would mean a great deal to me <laughs> on an emotional level. Um, but it's tough. It's a tough call. You know, it's a tough call to make. Um, similar situation with Van der Beek, but Van der Beek has now gone to Frankfurt, and I believe that they'll have an option. So if he plays well, they'll probably activate their option. Doesn't mean that we couldn't then get him that same summer. That's what we did with Romero, but that would be tricky. Um, but basically, if you're looking for players between the age of 22, 25, players who've played a mixture of number eight, and number 10, players who can do a box-to-box role and who can play as ahead of the ball, and I think this is, this is the really important thing, 
because like I think Bentacore is an outstanding number eight, but to have him in a position where he is ahead of the ball, he's playing essentially as a number ten, and he's got to be moving around, not coming towards the play, but yeah, doing supportive runs and things like that. That's where Gallagher definitely outshines Bentancourt. Um, Gallagher's kind of the only one and he stands out and I don't want to give Chelsea money, but I also do want to take talent off their hands when the opportunity arises at the same time, right? So I'm kind of coming around on Gallagher because I think he's the best option unless unless you've got absolute faith that we can turn Delhi's career back around, which again, I would, I would absolutely love. Um, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's a tough call to make. Yeah, I think that this well, he's not played. He's not played. Well, exactly. We're not in a position to be rehabilitating Delhi like as much as we'd love it. Um, he needs to play six months to a year elsewhere first before we can decide whether it's worth it. And then by that point, like the age profile is no longer a match, True. and it's it's not a workable signing. I think. Um, I do think Gallagher's a, a really good shout, and, I, and I, I see what you're saying about not giving money to Chelsea because it helps them out, yeah. but. When it's taking their club captain who's been with him since he was eight. And Pochettino uh, really likes him and won't want the owners to sell off his best player on his behalf, you know? Yeah. That's not what he went like, to Chelsea for, it's, eh? It's pulling the carpet from beneath him. It's it's glorious. Yeah, I get that. I'm I'm starting to choose to see things that way now. Yeah. Uh Bardi, have we convinced you? Yeah, let's get it done. <laughs> Just slap down fifty million, get it done. Yeah, I'm starting to think that all the Spurs squad was sick, and you were you were sick. You've been having secret meetings with Tottenham, Windy. <laughs> uh, so we as uh, we've, we've spoken a bit about central midfielders, then wingers. Uh, we had this question from Dan Four Acres, who says this may be a stretch, but if City keep preferring Doku over Jack Grealish, what do you think to the idea of Spurs attempting a swoop for the Brummy Himbo? Hmm. Would he satisfy Nathan's desire for a tricky winger? Would he cost too much? Do you know what? I, I, I put this question in there because stranger things have happened, you know, than, than Villa, um, sorry, City signing a player for big money um, and deciding months later that actually is not quite what they want and, and discarding him and, and hitting a reset. They did the same with, with Sane uh, like quite early on. It wouldn't be the biggest surprise to see Grealish leave and I can't think that there'll be too many clubs in the market for a dribbly winger of, of that at that price point. Would you take Grealish? Nathan? He's so good, man. He's so good. I think people don't realise how good he is because he had a huge price tag and and now he's not actually starting games. He's so good. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'd take him. I think um I think and I, I totally get what you're saying about City like releasing talent, releasing, you know, Zinchenko and Jesus, um and all of that. But I think Cancelo. Uh Cancelo, yeah, true, absolutely. But I think that um I think that Doku and Grealish give two very different ways of achieving similar things. And uh like one is more Doku is more like chaos, um uh you know, raw pace, um and and that makes sense when City are having a more transitional game at the moment and then when Pep changes things again because De Bruyne's back and now if they control games they would he would just create chances from merely having the ball maybe they'll look for more of a controlled game and then it'll be Grealish who's favoured over Doki right and I think that Pep probably appreciates having two different ways of, of answering the same question. Um, so I, I don't suspect that Grealish is about to get pushed out the door, but like, yeah, 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 I take him. And again, on that same point, like Grealish doesn't have the pace that is ideal for this profile, in my opinion, and and maybe would be something that, that Ange considers a negative against him because look at how pace-obsessed we are. Um, he's an incredible footballer and a lovable idiot. So- since um since we've been recording, Nottingham Forest have been uh punished by the Premier League. Why don't we just go sign the the winger we should have signed from them, Morgan uh, He's good. He's good too. Can you what what do you have any details for us? What exactly that that means? What's happening? Um no, nothing's happening. It's just uh they've been charged. It's just released eighteen minutes ago. I've just seen they've been that charged and and Everton too. Is that happening as well? Yeah. Uh. Everton and Forest charged with breaking financial rules. Sales of purple and gold materials uh, plummeting as we speak. 
I like Grealish. Uh, I think it's. I think there's no chance of him coming to Spurs in the, like now. Maybe in the future, but no, it's it's way too soon. He's way too key for for them, and I I just don't see it. I don't think. Yeah, don't see it happening. You say that, but he's played fewer than seven hundred minutes in the league this year. Which, like, I get it from City's point of view. They want him there as a different option to Doku. They want him there as someone who can come on against tired legs and just dance around them as if they're not there and create. But from Grealish's point of view, like, he's fast becoming a non-entity in the national team because he's not getting the game time. Uh, he needs to be playing. He's 28. Like, he's wasting precious time in his career. I don't know. I think stranger things have happened than, than Grealish leaving City. I don't think it'll be this window, but but maybe next. Maybe, maybe. Next I window. just think he's, he's having one of those off-seasons. He won everything last year. Spent the whole summer celebrating it. So I just think he's having one of those years. He'll be back next year. So that that's some uh, incoming rumours. There's one more, actually, which has just cropped up today, which is John Rowe, the, the Norwich attacking midfielder, winger, um, he's young. He's English. Uh, he's good. He's dribbly. Is he dribbly, Windy? He's he's, he's he's he scores a lot of goals after dribbles. Okay. Put it that way. Um, he has that dribbliness that looks like he's losing control of the ball, but actually mm. he's not. Um, except sometimes I think he might be, <laughs> and and it's just there's a bit of championship tax going on there. I think. I think John Rowe is good, but I need to see more of him before I'm convinced. Yeah, I, I certainly need to see uh, more of him too. Um, yeah. I wonder if we are not looking at him as a winger, but as a midfielder. Yeah, he does. He can play inside as well. Uh, he's played essentially in all three attacking midfield positions. Mm. Um, in terms of outgoings, it looks like Regulon might be going to Brentford on loan. That's because Rico Henry is out for the season and they've also lost Aaron Hickey. So in desperately need a left back. And I kind of like that move for him. Um, he should be trying to get out of the Premier League. He should be trying to get to yeah. Spain. Like, like, sure, dude, go to Brentford or whatever. But like, um, like I don't know. I, again, uh, I've said it many times, but I really felt like he was one of the best left-backs in the world coming into Spurs. And um, it looks like the Premier League is just, like, athletically uncomfortable for him, like we talked about Skip recently. Uh, He was was incredible. He was incredible in La Liga. And he should be pushing as hard as he can to go back so that in two years' time he can be back at Real Madrid or with Barca or something. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I definitely don't think he's going to get back to that level. No, but then, I know, I know. who knows? Because we saw what happened with Trippier, <laughs> where fullback fullbacks can develop late. Um, but I think if we get a good loan fee for him, that makes sense for for us. Uh, Ashley Phillips had an outstanding debut for Plymouth. Their fans love him already. He got man of the match, which is wonderful. Josh Keeley so far is smashing it at Barnet. He also got man of the match uh, the weekend. Matthew Craig made his league debut playing for Doncaster in League Two. Uh, sounds like that went quite well as well. Uh, and so I've been quite pleased with the outgoing loans for young players. The the one bone of contention for me is that Donnelly didn't play a minute against United, mm. but was held back from the under-21 game to play for the first team. Mm isn't being allowed out on loan because he might play for the first team. So I'm back in that situation where I'm getting frustrated at players caught in limbo between under-21s and first team. And my gut feel is just let them play under-21 football. Like, what would have been the problem with Donnelly playing 60 minutes on Friday night for the under-21s? Yeah, yeah, I get and, and, and then And then, like, if he's needed for the last 10 in the United game, then he'll be fine. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a frustrating one. When we talked about this last week, or at least last time, um, I said, like, you know, he's got Madison and then Kulosevsky and then Lacelso ahead of him. So, like, mm-hmm. 10 minutes is all that's available to him. But he's not even, like, getting minutes off the bench when we started with uh, Hoybier, Bentecourt and Skip. So now I'm coming around and I'm saying, send him somewhere that he's going to play. Um, yeah. This game changes the, the Donnelly situation for me because I, I still think he should have started. Um, me too. Or at least gotten half an hour off the bench and he didn't and that's um that's a real shame it's a shame uh especially when you know man you are playing an 18 year old in their midfield so it's not like you can just say he's going to get absolutely bodied by these experienced old wily old pros it's just <laughs> not the reality uh we'll finish with this one from dakota who says has poro been the best player in the premier league this season or at least the most well-rounded the guy has everything goals tackles dribbling crossing set pieces ball progression etc and his consistency even when the players around him have changed has been incredible 
You're just cold, Windy. What about Eric Dye? You just cut him out of your life. Wow. <laughs> Did we not talk about Dye last week? No, no I don't no, think so. No, he's right, he's right. We haven't done, because it was, it was since. Oh, shit. Just cold. <laughs> just, just, just brushed over oh, someone man. like 10 years at the club. Doesn't matter. Oh, man. I thought we covered Dye last week. Um... We covered yeah. Hugo last week, I think. We said goodbye to Hugo last week. Gosh, yeah. Sorry, Eric. Um, and I do feel sad about Dyer leaving as well. Okay. Like, not not that I'm sad about Dyer as the player he is who now. He is now. Yeah. yeah, leaving. I feel sad that it's ended this way. I feel sad that that Dyer um, had such a drastic fall off the cliff and then didn't make it even halfway back up that cliff before he was out the door. Um, because he was a brilliant servant to us. He played really well in multiple positions. Yeah. Um, and I like him as a person. I think the the moment he climbed into the stands to protect his brother <laughs> is one of the most iconic Spurs player moments genuinely, in the last decade. Genuinely. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's meant a lot to the club and, and its fans over a, a long period of time. Um, and I'm really pleased for him that he's got a good move and I hope he gets plenty of games at Bayern. But I do feel sad that it's ended this way for him as well. Yeah, I, I did feel sad that it has ended or that it was ending as it was. Um but he's got a move to Bayern and uh Yeah. I don't know, he might do okay there and then he's done mm-hmm. really well out of the situation when it looked like he was gonna not play for another six months and then go on a free to Portugal or whatever. Um so in the end I'm kinda happy for him. Yeah, I think um um not a perfect player, but way, way underappreciated by Spurs fans on the whole. Um, you know, we turned down a £50 million bid for him from United back in the day uh, for a reason. And I think at the time, most fans were happy that we'd done that. Um, and much more recently, two seasons ago, I had a really good season playing central centre-back under Conte. Season after that, things went badly, but the whole team went badly. He was playing through injury and so was Son. And the same consider- considerations aren't given to die as they are to son right um so yeah i think um is going away a little underloved compared to who he is and what he gave us um had some unfortunate tie-ins with um what's the fucking guy the yeah the barstool dude which is a bit grim but um but for the most part comes across as like a really smart quite aware guy you know especially as footballers go um so I mean, primarily, I think he's going to Germany to be Harry Kane's mate. Um, but I wish him the best on the pitch. It's a real... It's, this is it now. The book is closed on the Pochettino era is, mm. is done. I know, like, Sun is still there and Ben Davies are there, but they're very much these players that can kind of... You could associate them with every manager yeah. that we've had since then. Whereas Dyer was really Pochettino's kind of guy. And uh, back in the day when I could make hot takes without blowing up <laughs> on my face because no one, no one listened to me, I had real hopes for Dyer, man. I had... In my, in my head, I saw this kind of guy that could play centre-back, play midfield and I thought he was going to grow into becoming like our kind of of a De Rossi type of player that could easily play in the centre of a back three play as a holder midfielder and had a bit of everything and it really looked like that was going to be his path for quite some time but then he seemed to bulk up and injuries took their toll and he's just another player that the, the, the symbol, the idea of Eric Dyer is something that I'm very positive about. And you're right, really, he's been, he's been great in the changing room, like helping people adapt and find a home. And the multiple languages he speaks have been really useful for, for a lot of our newer players. But another one, another player that it just stayed too long. And it's almost like we let him down as much as he let us down. And had we just parted terms a couple of years earlier, then it would have been fine. We would have liked him. And like Hugo, give it four, five, six, seven years time. And we'll talk about Eric Dyer, like how we talked about him when he was playing alongside Toby and Yano in midfield alongside Dembele. He was um, a player that ultimately didn't make it. And there's the Tottenham is, Tottenham's history is littered with players that didn't make it. But I'd like to think he had a bigger impact than most than a lot of players but ultimately I'm delighted he left because he ended up being a terrible defender but yeah kind of sad nice fitting tributes um so Porro best Premier League this <laughs> no, season Nathan what do no, you reckon no 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 sorry and I know that you really like him but uh I mean what a, what a goal he hit um against Burnley the other week but also he's going to be popping shots from 40 yards all the time now he's just he's very chaotic and 
He's got upside, but he has also got downside, right? Rashford got in behind him a lot. A lot of that is obviously the tactical structure of the team, but some of it is his own lack of defensive awareness. His defensive 1v1 game has come on a lot, but it's not as good as your doggies, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> My take is he's not even the best inverted fullback at Spurs. He's better than Alexander-Arnold right now. I would take Poro over Arnold any day. I think... I think Porro's been our player of the season. Man. I think it's close between him and Vicario, but I think Porro's been our player of the season. And I can't think of too many players in the league that have been better. I think Rodri, I think Rodri's had an outstanding season um, from what I've seen. He's, he's, well, loves Porro's incredible. He's been very, very when good. you love a player, you really love him. He's He's been very good and he's he's absolutely like blown me away with based on what what I thought we would get out of him playing an inverted right back role for sure, but there are there are weaknesses in his game that I think are, that you can see in most matches. Um, and absolutely, you take you take the 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 good with the bad. You take the risk with the reward with Poro. But there is a payoff, and I I, I do love what he offers. But he's very chaotic, you know. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate Lakelar. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.